Welcome to Highway Diary. I'm your host, Eric Hollerbach. With me, as usual, returning guest, Dr. Joe Whitcomb. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having me on there, Eric. Good to see you again. So I uh, I wanted to have you on because I saw that you updated, like we're Facebook friends, and now you went from Poland, well, you were in Ukraine, Kiev, war broke out, you went to Poland, you were bumming around, now you're in the Canary Islands in Spain. How did that happen? <laughs> what well, are the you know, Canary some... Islands? I don't even know what well, they're, 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 uh, they're part of Spain. It's like, it's like Spain's version of Hawaii, except for their volcanic islands, just about a three-hour flight south, uh, about 70 to 100 miles off the African continent in the Western Sahara. So it's a lot like SoCal as far as like the weather is concerned, except for better. It never gets above like 85 below 71. Water's great. And uh, the women here, you know, everyone bays sort of, you know, topless. So you get the best of all worlds. Yeah. It's Spain, you know, when in Spain. So what made you decide to go to the Canary Islands? Like, you know, you can go anywhere. You're, you have this great lifestyle where you're, you know, doing Monday to Friday. You showed me your schedule. You're packed solid uh, doing therapy appointments. But then, you know, your weekends are free. And I saw that you're like basically living at, it looks like a resort to me. I mean, is, are you in a condo? Or <laughs> it you, is. Yeah, well, I, I beat Bob around quite a bit there, Eric. I, 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 ha, I typically, how I typically operate is uh, I research when I want to, where I want to go in advance. And usually I want to, like I come here for three months. Usually when I go somewhere, I want to get to know the area. So the Canary Islands, kind of like the Hawaii of Spain. Um, I, I rent out, I sort of island, there's seven islands, so I island hop, I spent uh, a little over a month in one area and I just sort of get to know the terrain go from uh, have an Airbnb and then I sort of rent out a hotel on the beaches on the week- weekends just so I can get the the other sort of areas and also like the mountain areas it's a lot of fun um, you also you sent me this uh, test this uh, online kind of test and I took it <laughs> and it, it Mm-hmm. Describes if you are more of a king, lover, magician, or warrior. And mm-hmm. uh, I was like, uh, you know, I got uh, nothing to do right now. So I took the test and I'm very balanced. I'm 88% king, 88% lover, 88% magician, and only 75% mm. warrior. I'm more of a lover. Ah. But uh, <laughs> uh, what, what, what's with this quad? Uh, waited. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Well, um, this is basically the archetypes. So the archetypes, like in Jungian theory, shadow work. But when we talk about archetypes, uh, there's the king. Uh, you have three different types of kings. You have like the sort of the good, benevolent, healthy king. You have a tyrannical type of king. Who's, uh, so if you think of like Game of Thrones, those sort of uh, speak a lot to archetypes. So if you think of like a tyrant king, uh, and then you have like um, uh, the lover that can be a healthy lover or impotent lover or a uh, sort of a, there's three different types. I got to go back and look at them. And then the magician has the healthy deceiver, the joker. And then the uh, the warriors, healthy, you know, the healthier toxic, you know, the healthy warrior masculine more of the uh toxic sort of warrior uh and then the i can't remember the third one i'll have to look it up do you see what they are the what king the lover are? magician warrior i think you did all four. and it, yeah but then there's inside each one there's the there's sort of a definition of the type of king they are the type of i see uh, do you see it? You have it there in front of you still? I just have my results. I just have ah. uh, my 88 all across oh, the board. Oh, I get you. Okay, got you. I'm glad that I'm balanced. I was glad that I wasn't like all one thing, none of the other, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's some of the work that I do with uh, men when we're talking about the uh, talking about archetypes. 
I want to talk about that a little bit because I have a lot of feelings about this, but I also want to talk about uh, you for a minute because it's very interesting. Um, I read this book back in the day called, uh, did George Carlin do a book called uh, A Place for My Stuff? And he was all talking about Western culture and getting a house and then just packing your house with shit, more and more shit. (laughs) And you went through that phase. You were living in Santa Monica for a long time. And you had a, a place for my stuff. You just got mm-hmm. like, yes, football, mm-hmm. ice cream, Mickey Mouse, Santa Claus. And every Christmas you got more ornaments and you just kept packing them, packing them in the attic. And now you live without anything. And right. right. So uh, it's you've lived a complete binary lifestyle, right? You've had the on the one yeah. side of the spectrum, all the stuff all the cooking appliances, all that. And now you're just living, you know, out of rentals for three months at a time and exploring. Yeah, that's right. Well, I had my, I had my dream house in, uh, not just in Santa Monica, but when I moved down to Carlsbad, I had an amazing house. When I first moved down there, I thought I'm going to live here. It was just right off the village there uh, at the end of Chestnut and and it was party central there. We used to have all sorts. It had like four levels. It had the rooftop, the main, the bedroom area, living room. We had a great Halloween parties there. And then the bottom part had like a six-car garage. And it was really weird. I went off to, uh, I, was doing my, um, I was doing my research and development for the last eight years in my doctorate for trauma-informed mixed reality. And... Uh, I was uh, done with the research and I started trying to do the de- development of all that. And uh, I, I had brought in some people to, you kind of learn to hire people, but I was hiring people to help them during COVID. So COVID hit a lot of people really hard. And uh, it was, uh, and I was actually thriving when everyone else was sort of on the downturn, my practice and my project was doing really well. Um, but it just wasn't working out with me and with my uh, team. So I told them, hey, guys, I got to just sort of terminate what we're doing. I went to Ukraine, hired a uh, company out there, great company to do the development. Uh, that, that was about a year and a half ago. came back. <laughs> came back. And, uh, you know, uh, it's, you know, either you've, the universe has an intervention. It's when it says to go, you got to go. I came home, and um, the people that I had brought in during COVID uh, stole everything. They took all my computers, all my <laughs> furniture. They cleaned me out. I had been gone a month. By the time I got back, they were long gone. Police couldn't do anything about it. So that was kind of my cue. Um, instead of getting bitter, I got better. I decided I was going to take that advantage to sort of base jump i took two suitcases that was it that was my two the two suitcase challenge and uh headed to ukraine you know man i thought i thought the the stand-up comedy industry was cutthroat you're saying that the research and development of virtual tech that gets you out Uh, of drama is that cutthroat they just you're not uh, they stole all the computers Wrong people, man. You just got to make sure you, you know, hire the right people, good people. Um, thought I had to trust them, but, you know, it is uh, it is what it is. And um, I am uh, I'm better off for it. I've sort of, the nice thing is sort of forced me to, to dump everything and do what I wanted to do anyway, you know, because I've been always wanting to, I, I travel a lot when I was in my when I was a kid in the Philippines for like four years, um, from 19 to 24. Well, in the the army. Yeah. Air force. Yeah. U S air force. Yeah. So I got a chance to see the world when I was a kid and then it was time for me to kind of go again. Uh, I became an empty nester about 12 years ago or yeah, about 12 years ago was a young, young and dumb dad. So this is sort of my time now, you know, so it's good. um, So I I know that you have plenty of business, so I don't want to talk too ill of trauma, but has the pandemic 
in a in a weird way kind of sparked your business because the pandemic has created hardcore psychological trauma in a generation mm -hmm. and i wonder if it's yeah. irreversible mm -hmm. because when the whole world says there's an invisible enemy like the boogeyman you know like the boogeyman if you if you hug your grandma it will be on your conscience that she's dead with the coronavirus it's on you mm -hmm. if you hug, if you love your family without masking you're going to kill everybody. The, I mean, in the West, especially, the, the tactics that the empire used to shame, to belittle, to coerce everyone into this scenario, um, I think is, has more fragile people uh, been, been crushed by it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, every, yeah, there's no going back. I mean, we can never, nothing ever goes back. I mean... Even Einstein said, you know, once the mind's stretched, it will never go back to its original dimension. Things just don't go back to original dimensions. Once it's sort of, you can't put it back in a box, so to speak, right? So it's always going to be lingering. And nothing really prepared any of us for COVID. I mean, there's trauma that can sort of hit us hard, like, like a, a sort of like a lightning strike, that sort of trauma, those critical incidences. But Stuff like, you know, um, the insidiousness of COVID and just everything around it. Um, it's kind of like watching a, you know, standing on top of a house and watching the river rise and you can't do anything about it. So that's a different type of trauma, that sense of powerlessness and helplessness people have that there's nothing they can do or to change it. So, you know, and it's people, yeah, so... I don't know about the politics of it. I just know from a psychological side of things, it definitely has impacted our, the, the loss of, the biggest impact I think has been sort of the loss of social capital connection that people have. People have become more anxious, depressed, um, suicidal rates. People have been more exiled and alone. And as you know, an alone person feels like a bad person. So. You know, it just sort of exacerbates, makes it makes it harder for people to, uh, you know, connect, right? Um, I want to show you some evidence I found um, on the internet that um, the next generation is losing their mind. I'm going to share my screen with you here. You know, I think if we look back in history, we go through a certain uh, seculae of... Um, the seculae, like in the, the book, The Four Turnings, um, we kind of go through different stages, right, in our society. Um, so they're like, even with the archetypes, right, um, uh, there's going to be certain, I guess, what you'd call these turnings or seculae. I'm trying to remember exactly how it went, what the cycles of the generations are. But, you know, people are, we go through identity, um, sort of a identity uh, crises, diffusion, identity moratorium, identity sort of uh, foreclosure, or we don't, a lot of people are not either, like a lot of the tools of repression that our generation, generation before us, sort of by our parents, we didn't have a voice. Now it's sort of like, People just want to be, they just fully self-express without any sort of filter on what they're saying. But we're going to, I think the, the stages that are in the sort of the four turnings are, we go through sort of an awakening. There's uh, 25 years of that. There's another 25 years of, let's say, the uh, a crises or uh, an unraveling. And then there's sort of uh, another sort of a, a, a turning here. So uh, as you know, it's like we had the hero generation back in the 1900s, 1924, the GI. Then you had the artists, you know, that they were more silent. And then you had the prophet, the baby boomers, the nomads, the generation Xers. Um, but each of these sort of stages, you know, get defined uh, through all these generations. This is, Probably the and artists, these sort like this generation now, these children are 
sort of born out of the heroes like we did during the crises of 9-11 and the last 25 years of war. And then also what we have coming out of. So a lot of it's a total reaction of what's going on. Um, we had 9-11, we had COVID, we had, um, you know, just the whole world sort of in the, um, in the crises or awakening uh, part stage. But yeah, I mean, that's glad you brought up the archetypes because there's the archetypes there too in our generations, right? Again, sort of the artist, the prophet, the hero, the nomad. Yeah. And as I'm scrolling through, we saw one guy like in a puppy outfit, um, like, oh, it's so frustrating to um, like eat French toast when you're a puppy. You know, it's like you're well, you've this person has muzzled themselves and then go, oh, it's so frustrating with my lifestyle to eat French toast. Now, I got my degree in screenwriting. What I like about films and what I like is everyone has to delay their gratification to make a film. The screenwriter yeah. lives in the woods for six months to create right. the best screenplay. Then yeah. they, they go on a lo- long process to cast the film, right? Then everyone mm. learns the lines and they, they get camaraderie with each other and they get very adept at the script. Then we hire the filmers and we go to the best location to film it as best as possible. Then we have this person who is uh, very confused and um, in my opinion, and they're trying to explain their mental illness to normalize it to the world. That's how, that's the end result of no delaying a gratification. And, uh, and uh, like you were saying, you have to, you know, earlier cultures repressed uh, voices that were marginalized. And now it's like, no, you can't shut me up. I'm going to infect the world with my mental illness. You know, there's also a process of publishing books where you have an editor and, a, and all this stuff and a publisher and they fact check it. And now we have this purple hair person explaining their ghost gender. If you want an explanation that you're not going to listen to anyway, I'm going to explain this to you very clearly. People who use ghost ghost self pronouns do not actually think that they're a ghost since somebody told you that apparently um they just feel like ghost ghost self is a perfect way to describe how they feel about their gender pronoun wise and it literally works the same way as if you would use somebody's name instead of a pronoun it works the same way as talking about somebody in the third person literally if i were to say salem's favorite game is a playstation 2 game and it makes Salem very happy that it still works, but then you replace it with a neo pronoun, so it will be Ghost's favorite game is a PlayStation 2 game, which makes Ghost very happy because it still works. Like it's the same thing in a different font. Why is this so difficult for you to grasp? It's such a simple concept, and third graders can understand it. Ghost, ghost self, man, woman, non binary, ghost, ghost self. Mm. I've been ghosted before, many times, <laughs> many <I> just, dates. <laughs> I mean, like, after one or two dates, I've been ghosted. I get it. I mean, this is a crisis. This is the millennial crisis, identity crisis. You know, um, <coughs> it's going to be happening. This is the you know the millennial existential crisis. So, um, <coughs> and post millennial. Well, we even have what we'll call now the COVID babies, you know, pandemic babies, which will have their own set of problems, right? So what are we going to do about it? So we're, we're, we got a generation that has some identity confusion, uh, you know, and um, again, I think it's every relation. This is sort of a revolt, I think, of the the tool, like I said, the tools of repression or oppression that people felt for years and years. You know, it's it's an explosion. Um, do I think it'll right? Do I think that'll all sort of shift with the next generation? Yeah, because we all look at our parents and go, "What the heck were they thinking?" Right? So, it's. I know my kids are too. They're asking me what, themselves, "What were, was I thinking?" Like you ask yourself, what were my parents thinking? We're all going to be, uh, I think this is a great time for 
soul searching. Um, I think it's a great time for people to be on their yoga mat, you know, in the islands, you know, working on relationships and trying to um, maybe try to be a better version of themselves. You know, I uh, kind of learned that the hard way. Ghost, ghost self. I always uh, thought that, you know. Ghost, ghost self. That's interesting. Where did they get that? Did they say where they got that ghost? Is this that what they came up with? Sort of because they don't want to be seen or they are, they do want to be seen, but. It's got to be tough. Is that the, I mean, in my opinion, I'm looking at a very attractive young girl who probably is constantly hit on by the 19 year old boys of her generation. And to the level that she's so annoyed by it, she's like, I identify as a ghost. Like, you know what I mean? I think that's yeah. where that came yeah. from, in my, if I were to guess the etymology of it. Um, but it, it's, uh, you know, I always thought that, you know, it would be best if, you know, when you get a something like a, a washing machine, it should make your life more convenient because now you have a washing machine. You don't have to spend the time going to the river and hitting the clothes with a with a rock, right? So now you have something to do. But then the bankers are like, they charge you interest on the convenience. Then you get all the way to the level of a house with all your shit in it. It has all these th- these conveniences in it, six car garage, but every every car has it, you know auto insurance and maintenance. The house has property tax, so like this this big house that you think is just going to make everything more convenient is always just charging you interest on itself with you know your cars, your house insurance. Now you have a pool, but now you need a pool guy. Now you have a lawn, but now you have to mow it. Now you have this, but now you have to pay tra- tax on it. Now you have this, but you have you know whatever. Um, so as you get more, you know, as you bundle a bigger nut of my stuff, then you're always gouged by it or almost trapped by it, you know? And I always remember thinking when my parents would describe that growing up in New Jersey, I was astounded when I, they told me that the house that I lived in cost $10,000 a year in property tax. Although I went to school and I benefited from the great school that I went to, the public school in New Jersey, I was always like, oh, my God, the house that you bought. No, you bought the house. We live here. And they're like, no, no, there's insurance. There's that. And they just on a piece of paper described every expense. I couldn't believe it. I could not believe mm. it. And uh, I always I, I kind of grew up feeling guilty. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, if you live in a in a communist country um, that I think a lot of these libs of TikTok would aspire to living somewhere communist which on one hand sounds like a utopia, but then nobody has like the push to go outside and go earn their, their uh, living. You have Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the bankers know this. So they charge you the most money for your housing to, you know, your food and shelter, you know what I mean? But in communist country, when you're, when those things are taken care of, nobody goes out the door to work so then everything crumples crumbles under nepotism when everyone's needs are met you see what i'm saying so it's always like a balance of dark and light of pushing the population and uh to you know have the best scholars but then the other thing is just more narcissistic insecurities and i even find that in the comedy thing like i spend a lot of time at home writing jokes and i find some comics go up and if they pontificate on narcissistic insecurities. And it's like, all these people went out to watch this nonsense. You know what I mean? This, this ex, oh, I need to express myself nonsense. And it's just frustrating to me. I like to delay my gratification yeah. and write really good, you know, anyway. Yes, yes, and yes, yes, absolutely. I'm um, with you 100%. I think it's tough, you know, I think there's a, uh, the, like you're saying, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of, uh, like in any type of communist stuff, it's that poisoned or false empowerment that creates this poisoned sort of entitlement we call welfare states or welfare state of mind, but um, where people stop being, uh, you know, if uh, we're not just talking Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but also let's say Eric Erickson's stages of development. Where identity has to sort of go through certain progressions, and a lot of people, we just get in. There's just been a 
um, impingement, you know, on people's development, um, uh, on the, especially being becoming more industrious. Um, are you familiar with Eric Erickson's uh, no stages? Ah, okay. Well, we're talking a lot about identity, right? As we're talking about identity crises and existential crises, but we we go through different stages of development. And if we don't sort of move beyond it, you know, uh, let's say we start with like our need for trust versus mistrust, right? That $96 million question we're all asking, especially from as children, you know, are you there for me? Can I count on you? You're going to have my back. Can I, are you going to be accessible, responsive, engaging, you know, emotionally? If you get a yes, right, we're, we're trusting, we're able to, you know, create connections, we're able to create sense of belonging. But if there's mistrust, you know, people aren't trusting. So we sort of, the world sort of, sort of becomes a dangerous world type of thing. Um, and then if we don't get, so then we go into more autonomy versus like shame and doubt. Uh, that's kind of in our preschool years, the three to five. Then stage, then we get into initiative versus guilt. Like people either taking that initiative, right? Or there's been a lot of, you know, like I said, tools of repression you know, guilt or shame dumping that's, you know, shame is so corrosive, it makes us believe we can't change. So you get a lot of that sort of shaming. And then we get into industry and being industrious, you know, being taking charge of our lives, um, you know, or more inferiority, right? Or, and then we have identity versus identity confusion. And that's usually stage five, that's in the years of 12 to 18, right? where people are either developing identity or they're still kind of confused. Then in our age, right, intimacy versus isolation, you know, people are trying to create connection and have intimacy. But in the meantime, you know, COVID comes, all this other stuff, people are isolated. So those kids that are like 18 to 40 who are supposed to be like creating connections and out there socializing, you know, they got sort of, you know, sequestered to their dark Nights of the soul, you know, for two years. And um, and then hopefully guys like us now who are in our 40s, 50s, you know, would be able to be more generative. I'm know, 37, Joe Whitcomb. All right. So <laughs> you're in the, so you're sort of in the intimacy, developing intimacy connection, you know, and you know, or isolating, right? Um, I'm ghost the, gender. I'm ghost, ghost self-gendered. Thank you. Okay, cool. Well, now you know your identity. Okay, cool. No confusion there. Um, <laughs> but we get generative or we get into like stagnation, like people just sort of give up. Um, in the last stage, uh, you know, we see the older people where we have integrity or they just fall to despair, right? And so <clears throat> that, you know, or sort of a resignation of life. And so uh we're seeing it significantly and part of our job is to help bring people not back but forward to you know answer those great questions like who am i where am i going what do i stand for what do i fight for what am i here to champion what is my highest purpose a lot of people don't know right they're just sort of you know walking in the dark you know, trying to find identities these days is like trying to be in a black room in the middle of midnight, trying to find a black cat. It's really hard to find that search for who am I? Yeah, I had a, a hero growing up that I was uh, lucky enough to meet uh, a bunch of times. And this guy called Dave Mira. Maybe you've heard mm. this name. He was um, he won 14. No. He won 14 X Games gold medal in either vert dirt and park bicycle riding he would he was the first guy ever to do a double backflip on a bmx bike guy dave Mira. Wow. i mean <clears throat> incredible and i met him and he was the most standoffish person and he um anyway so when he turned for at the end of his uh bmx career when he he was starting to place bronze he got 24 medals in total and 14 gold. And a lot of his bronze medals were when he was 39, 40. He started to get into rally car racing because he was such a adrenaline junkie. 
Um, mm. And at in 2016, at the age of 42, he killed himself. And I feel like when his body couldn't be what his identity was, you said these days, people's identity is like a black cat in a black room. His identity was like a shiny, glowy, fluorescent ball in a dark room. And the second he couldn't ride bicycles to gold medal levels anymore, he's like, I'm done, bang. He also had CTE, right. they, they found that they looked at his brain and um, he had CTE, so he had this like constant- Oh, uh, TBI, TBI, traumatic brain injury. Yeah, and at, at the age of 19, he was hit by a oh, car wow. and fractured his skull. After that, oh, he wow. had a, uh, a amateur boxing career. And then mm. he, he was just the most hyper competitive person. I, I met him at Woodward. I met him uh, in Woodward, Pennsylvania is the best training center for BMX and extreme sports. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have like, you know, padded stuff. So you don't have to take a, a concussion every time you, you, they have like pads around so you can learn your, your things. I also met him. There's a documentary that was on ESPN and there was a place where he was just like in a skate park and it was packed with people. And I was one of the like, am, you know, try, I would go to the skate park with my bike every now and then. But um, so I, uh, I watched him jam and he was just doing five forties, just like nothing. And he was just like the most amazing person. But the second he couldn't do it, I feel like his flaw was he, I, he was his identity. And the second he couldn't do it, he was out, you know, which is, what you could say is like toxic masculinity. One of the things I resent is some people say, oh, it's such toxic masculinity to be a hyper achiever. And it's like, what? <laughs> toxic? That's, that's the basis, the backbone of America's uh, achieving anything. Um, and right, then- right, right. Identity achievement. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, that's true, right? And I think from a psychological perspective, we have you know, you know, our identity is, in, you know, our, our, you know, we have tasks, life's made up of tasks and relationships, right? So a lot of people identify mostly with their tasks, like what they, what they do, rather than who they're being, right? So their being is sort of attached to sort of this, like this, this uh, persona, right? And the persona is, you know, we have our true self and our false self. And so sometimes that false self, we haven't been really confronting or dealing with our true self, right? Who am I really, right? Without all these things, you know, to sort of define me. Um, You know, and and people go through these crises, and this is such an identity crisis, especially how old was he? 42. Yeah, yeah, midlife crises, right? That's there's some real existential stuff that happens. You wait, it'll hit you like a like a wall, right? Because our purpose shifts are you know who we are and everything that we built, right? And eventually it's sort of like I when I got to like 40 to 50, it was like everything I had built was on a sort of like a house of cards, right? And then something came and sort of the poke on it in the house of cards sort of collapses around it, right? Because the identity hasn't really been sort of scaffold, right? You have to, you can't, so it's sort of like an adding and subtracting thing. You have to add something to our, you know, before you subtract. So a lot of times people will leave, like the astronauts will go to uh, the moon and come back and, you know, and, and suffer some pretty profound depression and anxiety, some even said they were suicidal because of just the loss of mission and purpose, right? The, the excitement, they had the, the, they landed on the moon, the pinnacle, now what, right? Where do we go from here, right? What's our next chapter of our life going to be? So unless we sort of learn to uh, reinvent ourselves, right, at a certain pay time, right, where we get into more of an integrative part, right? So a lot of us, we find ourselves sort of fractured, right? Split off. We got this part, this part, this part, this part. And when working with men, the, the task there is to try to integrate all those different parts that make you you, right? Some of them may seem really fractured and split off or different. But when you just sort of follow that little red thread, 
of someone's life, you can find that cohesion of like who they are, right? And that becomes more of the, you know, more of the identity uh, achievement. And, you know, so there's uh, more generative and more of a sense of um, authenticity, right? When you get into that. Uh, a lot of people are going through it because they haven't really been able to be authentic. You know, so you take the mask off, then what do we have left, right? I uh, I always am fascinated when I'm watching Olympic coverage and they, especially girls gymnastics, because the commentators are so brutal. They're like, well, you know, she turned 16, so, you know, this is going to be her last Olympic. Or, like, she's 14. Well, yeah, she's at the peak now. It's like, what, after she wins a gold medal, it's time to send her to the glue factory? You know what I mean? Like a racehorse. It's like, well, it's all over. She's 15. And it's like, God damn, she hasn't even got to college yet. Like, relax. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that person was brainwashed to be the most hyper-competitive. You know, if you're in that situation where you're going for an Olympic gold medal, I mean... Right, 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 Um, Well, that's, mm -hmm. so identity, yeah, we're sort of talking about identity, like the different types of, sort of the identity crises that we're going through now that you sort of started leading with today. Um, You know, people not really knowing who they are or redefining themselves and in, uh, Go, you know, ghostly ways, and uh, but hey, you're you're, uh, you're absent. Like I, I gotta fail you from the class. You're absent. No, no, my identity is ghost, ghost self. So you have to yeah. make an exception for my attendance, right? Because I was there in spirit, right? Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> no, I got an A because I was authentically ghost, ghost self for my identity. yeah, especially if it's a gender identity class. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I worked in the LGBTQ plus community for a while. And, um, you know, the psychologist and, and that I talked to there, I, I, I'm not I'm not really clinically trained in that. So I try to say, keep my my opinion to myself on that. But they they tend to think that there's, you know, the, the, that whole uh, that whole generation is go, is definitely going through the sort of an identity crises and um, they're making, there's a lot more stricter sort of protocols. They have to go to get sex changes now to make sure it's not some other comorbid sort of identity or personality disorder. So. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Uh, my sister visited uh, my birthday's Halloween and my sister visited and we got into this whole topic of uh using good language and and not uh, offensive language and she says that she did the you know such a process in her mind she used to say instead of saying the word lame she would go that's gay she goes i don't do that anymore i can't do that anymore you know and then um we hung out with her friends these gay guys and as soon as something came up they're like oh man we that guy's picnic blanket is so gay oh this is a yeah, you could get a panini over there, but that's gay. And I was just like, I looked at my sister like, what the fuck are you talking about? That, these gay guys are saying it. And then she's like, they can say it. It's their word. And it's just like, yeah, but we're hanging out with them. If you said it, you're not offending them when they're saying it all the time. And this is an extreme example. But when I would lived in New Orleans, I was literally doing comedy with black people all the time. And they would say the N-word so constantly. And I found myself when I'm, in a car with Kyle Smith and John Rowe and Tom shows are saying it so much. I, it would slip out of my tongue. Not that I'm trying to say the N word, but they're using it as a verb adjective noun for like a, a 60 minute car ride to Baton Rouge, for example, you know, and it would slip because it's like, I'm just hearing it so constantly. And I'm like a very mimetic person. And um, right. my sister gave me this big lecture about how I was, you know, a, a an awful person and I should not do that anymore. And it's like, yeah, but after, you know, I get brainwashed after a certain amount of time and things get normalized. And, and it was just so funny. As soon as we hang out with the gay people, that's the first thing that they say, Oh, that's gay. I'm like, oh, see, 
See? She's like, I'm not saying it. They're allowed to. Okay. But we're all hanging out. I just think that um, when you pontificate about all this stuff, like it's one thing to put like boundaries on good behavior, but it's another thing to just be like, to be judgmental and to like, you know, make a good time. We're all having a good time hanging out to make a good grandstand about uh, the language when that's not on anyone's mind. I was like, yeah, but the other side of it is being judgmental, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm like super yeah, not judgmental except for this ghost gender bullshit. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, it's hard to track where that that's the first time I ever get even heard of that before. So ghost Thanks. ghost self. <laughs> ghost ghost self. Ghost, ghost. Yeah. Well, there's them and there's yeah, he, she, they but they uh, and them is also them. Yeah. they and them mm-hmm. I have to push back on because it's plural. Mm-hmm. You're not a group. That's narcissism. I'm not me. My vote shouldn't count for one. It should count for a dozen because I'm they. Shut the fuck up. Also, I I I, I read the whole. Um, there's like a hundred something gendered pronouns. Some of them are just German conjugation. Like some of like some of the Zim Zerzi, like Der D Das, one of them was Opa. That means grandpa in German. That's not a fucking what do you mean? You're a German grandpa? Opa, Oma. Oma is grandma in German. What the fuck? These aren't genders. These are grandma in other languages. Ugh. Like I'm a German grandpa. No, you're uh, you're seven. Shut the fuck up. Like there, there's some shit you're you're an opa ghost <laughs> ghost 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 what was it ghost what ghost ghost self ghost ghost self look yeah. i i'm sorry i you weren't trained properly hold on you weren't trained properly dr joe Whitcom. and you know it's so simple if you want an explanation i'm gonna listen to anyone anyway. i'm gonna explain very clearly people who use Ghost, ghost, self pronouns do not actually think that they're a ghost since somebody told you that apparently. Um, they just feel like ghost, ghost, self is a perfect way to describe how they feel about their gender pronoun wise. And it literally works the same way as if you would use somebody's name instead of a pronoun. It works the same way as talking about somebody in the third person. Literally, if I were to say Salem's favorite game is a PlayStation 2 game. And it makes Salem very happy that it still works, but then you replace it with a neo pronoun, so it will be Ghost's favorite game is a PlayStation 2 game, but it makes Ghost very happy because it still works. Like it's the same thing in a different font. Why is this so difficult for you to grasp? It's such a simple concept. Why is it so hard for you, Dr. Joe Whitcomb? These are neo pronouns. Don't resist change. Oh, you're stuck in the past. I'm Ghost Ghost Cell. Well, yeah, I, I don't understand it, but I mean, I could understand if they said, you know, I'm human, right? Human, human self, uh, without a ghost that just seems so much like an aberration. I can't seem to get my brain wrapped around. I just see this as like, you know, my dog ate my homework. Uh, I'm sick. Like an excuse. It's like, that's, that's where I see this going. It's just like, no, you're, I'm not handicapped. I'm not, you know, you're not handicapped. You're not sick. You're, you're, you yeah. don't ha- own yeah. a dog. You're able-bodied. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you have yeah. your homework or why were you absent? Go, go south. It's just more bullshit. It's like, what did you do? Did you show up to work? I'm ghost, ghost self. Did you, you know what I mean? But you're an EMS worker. Someone let out in the street because you didn't show up with the ambulance. I'm ghost, ghost self. It's just more bullshit. And and when when we've locked people in in their house with their fucking iPads, it comes out gobbledygook. Yes, it does. There's something to be said for polite society. <laughs> yeah. Well, if people are doing the best they can, right? I guess if I just if that's the best they can, then I have. I mean, uh, for me, 
since I've been out in the world, man, I just had to learn to have radical acceptance for everything because, man, there's so many things I could put my time and energy in on or focus in on it. It's like, do I want my, there's 168 hours in a week. 168, 40 of those are sleeping, right? What am I doing with the other part of my precious life? So I, I, I don't know, man. That's a lot of time and energy that they put into something that's probably going to, like most ghosts, just sort of fade away. Like, um, oh, I sent you a text message. Yeah, but did you use a Ouija board? I mean. Of course. That's the, way, that's the next wave, man, Ouija. That's how I get my my emails. we 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 Ouija's yeah Ouija's in the metaverse right oh my god um, but you escaped you escaped America it's it's collapsing under its own narcissism they gave us YouTube and and uh, so you we used to watch um, you know television other people would would make television now we're just Instagramming our own assholes all the time you know right that's what this show is. <laughs> is that right no oh good to know i wish you would have told me before i came on so uh, the, so, so but yeah i mean i left america because um well i you know I, i've always wanted to be I, i've always had that wanderlust anyways ever since i was a kid i'd take off or imagine dream and i gotta tell you you know living abroad and traveling the world, like living here in Canary Islands, I'm living like a king. I can make, if you have, if you make at least 30,000, which I make much more than that, you can live on 30,000, retire here for 30,000, cost of living. You can buy Viagra, Viagra over the counter for like five to $10, five to $10. You know, that's, you can't even get that medicine in the States without a prescription. And then you have to pay what is it 10 bucks a pop per pill i wouldn't know i don't know either maybe it's more than that i think it's like yeah it's expensive you can get so but the cost of living like i can get these great places here for like a thousand bucks a month right on the beach (laughs) under three thousand a month man we live in the world travel travel the world man travel Time's you got limited. it all figured out. I look up to you. I, I see a guy who's uh, putting one foot in front of the other. He's not making complaints. He's not making excuses. You know, you you lost a practice from divorce. Then you went into an R&D development phase. Um, you got cleaned out. But I don't see you whining. I don't see you're just like, okay, you have a high pain threshold and you just move forward. Yeah. So I respect you. Yeah. Yeah, I have, I've been told that I have a pretty high threshold for pain and suffering, which, you know, kind of keeps me in denial of reality at some times. And so reality can sometimes come up behind you and bite you pretty hard in the ass if you're not paying attention. So that's kind of what happens sometimes. It's sort of, just sort of go through the world, um, navigating it. I, you know, uh, I met somebody kind of cool. She's Polish and she's, uh, she, she's a dentist and so she can't travel yet. But when she retires in a few years, she might be my, uh, hopefully my ride and die girl looking for that ride and die girl to just get on the back of the bike and just kind of go explore, you know? And if you fall the off world. a curb and you hurt your teeth and you got, she's got a, she did, time. she did that. She did that for me. I had actually chipped my teeth on my on the on the train ride from uh, Kiev to Poland uh, in the middle of darkness. I ran into like a pole in the middle of the night, and I chipped this tooth and did something else. And she cleaned it all up, made them all look nice and pretty, nice and white. Damn, pretty cool. That's a pretty hot first yeah. date. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still in the honeymoon phase, cleaning your teeth out. Yeah, well, we've been together about five months now. So she's in she's in Krakow right now. I'm here in Canary Islands. We're kind of giving each other some space for the moment, just sort of to figure some stuff out. Uh, but I can't handle Krakow cold weather being a 
Southern California guy, so mm-hmm. got to go where it's warm. My next stop is Barcelona in the spring for a couple of weeks, and it'll be Marcel, France for the rest of spring. And it'll most likely be Norway, Finland, Sweden, Denmark for the summer. And I don't know where I'll go from there. Probably Southern Italy again. Um, unbelievable. He's the Johnny Appleseed of online therapy, uh, a buddy of mine I met, uh, Dr. Joe Wickholm. What a pleasure it is to talk with you. Uh, and uh, yeah. I'd like to give you the update on the insanity of uh, the collapse yeah. of the American empire. What happened? Yeah, I have been off. I've been out of touch. Well, every time we go bankrupt, yeah, every time we go bankrupt, then there's a new psychological operation. And I think that they jumped the shark with the COVID one because, um, you know, the the backlash is now everyone is ghost gendered and we're all like uh, basically entitled, retarded or just confused. Like, it's just when you isolate people with their iPods and the millennials are changing their genders, then it's, it's over. It's over. Too much. Yeah. You know, as Stick said, I've got too much time on my hands, you know? Well, um, all right. <laughs> I think that's it. Bye for now. Uh, this is highway diary episode, uh, 360 something. You can find, uh, Dr. Joe Whitcomb, uh, relationship society, that's the website, right? Uh, yep, yeah, relationshipsite.com. Yep, that's it. And, and uh, they can call me and my email show at relationshipsociety.com. So we uh, we definitely work with a lot of people going through identity sort of crises, and especially now, a lot of people are trying to reinvent themselves and figure it out. So we're here to help people sort of, uh, well, not sort of brainstorm and uh, source solutions and just figure out, get on their hero's journey, get on their path and practice and sort of figure out what's next for their lives. You're never too young or too old, <clears throat> too old, I should say, to, uh, you know, figure out the next path or third or fourth of your life. And that's so not just talk. You're, you're actually living it. And, uh, you know, I admire your bravery and, um, yeah, and, well, I, don't, I don't know how brave I am. I think I'm kind of crazy, man. Courageous, maybe, but <laughs> I think be more crazy. Where's the spectrum from insanity, genius, and ghost, ghost self? Who knows? It's all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm somewhere on the spectrum, right? You know, sometimes life is a ghost town. So. <laughs> all right, we'll end with that. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Now. All right. Hey.